0: and here's nick hello
1: hi were you just shouting at something <laughs> yeah yeah you <laughs> what did i do i just went and here's nick <laughs> i am um, i stood in some a puddle of water Ooh. out in the bathroom damp socks. socks yeah so I'm taken that off yeah i'm here sockless not for the first time this week Maybe that's where all, most of my friends are, is online and people who aren't around. P- people I've met on the internet, those are the only people I get to keep as friends for any length of time. <laughs> <laughs> people who I don't see to talk to that often.
0: It's funny though, isn't it, how um, for me, that some of the people who I've met on Twitter via the MomCast and have met in person at conventions like Thought Bubble, how mm. I sort of miss them more than some of the people I actually have known in real life. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. Any length of time. Um, you know, there are some people that I don't see all that often anymore, but I don't spend much time thinking about them. I mean not in a horrible way, yeah. like I wish they were dead.
1: But fucking hell, you weren't there quick.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, why waste time? <laughs> oh God, how to start how to <laughs> start? All right, li- li- leave it with me, I'll make something happen. Okay, cool. You make something happen. I'll make something beautiful happen. Well, first I'll have a sip of tea.
1: Oh, that sounds good. Oh, no, I don't have any.
0: It's only lukewarm now. I was actually getting quite warm drinking my tea. I put my jumper on and I'm standing up and it's a bit warm anyway. And I'm like, oh, God, am I going to have to take my jumper off? That would be weird. Um, Fascinating, I know. It's impossible to regulate at the
1: moment. I know exactly what you mean.
0: How do we legislate for temperature and would it be too expensive? Would we have to cut the school's budget in order to do
1: it? <laughs> it seems obvious to me that global warming obviously can't be happening, obviously is happening, because it's unnaturally cold and unnaturally hot all the time. I don't really know what's going on. I might be having a- the menopause, the manopause. Maybe it's Earth having hot flushes and cold flushes. I think it might be. She's had enough, the
0: old dear. And then just dries up. <laughs> What a lovely image. Unanswered. Back when we were good in the early episodes, <laughs> um, we talked about opinions. And back then we did sort of decide it was everybody's responsibility to be careful how we express ourselves and also not be too quick to react that um, there should just be hopefully a level playing field of respect from both parties, from one who expresses and and the other side who is listening. And that would help sort of stem this wave of outrage where someone perhaps said something without thinking too clearly about it. But from the other side, the other person was very quick to react without trying to take those words in and digest them before um, thinking about whether they should respond or not. So there was that whole aspect about an undercurrent that I thought we should probably return to at some point, and we'll do that today, about being offended, taking offence and how the reaction has sort of lost a certain amount of balance yes it's quick to turn into outrage and it's quick to turn into campaigns and it's quick to turn into um torches and pitchforks and, and calling for someone's head
1: yeah i mean it's instantaneous isn't it this is the subject that we keep having the conversation when there isn't a recording device around and <laughs> yeah. pretty much nailing it i think we talked about this on the train back from a leeds comic convention the Thought i Bubble. think you're right actually yeah And we were going to talk about it the the following show, but neither of us was taking notes (laughs) and the conversation became so complete and perfectly formed in my memory that there's absolutely no way I could go back to it. And the annoying thing about that, Steve, is I think we came up with a solution for it all during that conversation that I have since completely forgotten.
0: Yeah, same for me.
1: (laughs) so uh so that's not so good i was talking to my wife as, as, a, as an aside i was talking to my wife earlier on
0: you only ever talk to your wife as an aside yeah i, I don't i don't do it very often okay
1: no I, I was talking to her earlier on and she asked what we were going to be talking about tonight and i said uh, we're going to be talking about offense and she said oh well that should be easy for you then and i said <laughs> what do you mean and she said well causing offense great she's so supportive <laughs> No, I think I think you're absolutely right, and there, uh, there's a there's a situation going on today as we're recording uh, that's in the papers, which we'll talk a little bit about. Sure, yeah. um, With Reginald D. Hunter, we'll be talking about that. I think a little bit, but the truth is, there's something going on constantly every day there's another story occurring or another situation occurring that's all about someone taking offence at something. Um, I think we associate it with social media, but the truth is our newspapers and our media have been pushing us in the direction of rushing to offence for a little while now, and it might even not be all on them. The truth of it is, as a society, we are trying as much as possible to be equitable about people being allowed a voice, So since the 60s and since earlier, we tried to, as much as possible, to give minorities and different genders and different sexualities uh, a, a platform. The problem with that is, to say problem suggests there's negativity to it. There isn't any negativity to that. But the problem is that once everyone gets a say in any given situation, I don't think we've evolved. This sounds very similar to the last episode, but I don't think we've necessarily evolved as a society or a group of societies to the point where... We're kind of in the growing pains of this society where we're all trying to give all of these disparate groups space. There are obviously still some people who are very intolerant. There's, uh, there's pressures on it. We're all fighting from all sorts of different directions. And a lot of the time, different groups and different individuals are still kind of wrestling with how they're going to be talked about, how society's going to treat them. It's one of those weird situations where history shows that almost everybody has been treated worse in the past than they are being treated right now, (laughs) but we didn't have a voice before to complain about it. (laughs) So we didn't have the chance to attack our politicians and our royals and all except we did because you know every few decades we'd behead one of them or something we have had revolutions in the past but we don't we don't feel that we've we've had a voice to actually kick back at people that we see as sort of oppressing us or having a go at us so now that we have we end up overcompensating and attacking everything that we see as a slight on us. And sometimes imagining slights that aren't necessarily there. Well, yeah. I, I guess my point is that social media allows us all to do this a lot. And so we tend to blame it on that. But it, it would be easy to say that our media was pushing us to do this before. But the truth is, I think, that as a society, we were one of the side effects to people feeling that they now have a voice is that people have a lot of things to grizzle about or feel like they have a lot of things to complain about. Mm. I don't want to under, understate... All of the genuinely bad things that people have to put up with in society. But a lot of the stuff we're talking about specifically today are the situations where someone takes offence because a comedian says something that they're unhappy with. When they didn't have to listen to the comedian. People tuning in on YouTube to listen to something that they have been told by someone else is going to offend them. So they seek it out and then, oh yes, they are offended by it. That is a weird behaviour. Seeking out stuff to be offended by is a particularly weird behaviour that I think is a luxury. You know, I, I don't think people necessarily did that when they were working in workhouses and and stuff like that. <laughs> I'm a, I'm guessing that people working in a, a sweatshop in some developing country. Are not jumping onto YouTube to find videos of people saying things that offend them they probably can't be bothered hmm. and besides it, it's they're working far too hard anyway, I kind of got of I kind of uh, I kinda got a bit distracted. And you they, did a little
0: and I yeah. think also in, in all of that in the introduction to what you're going to say, you pretty much did a good shorthand coverage of everything we wanted to say in the podcast. This will be quite short.:
1: excellent, so have you made a note of everything so we can cover it in more detail
0: um, carry on. the
1: peculiar thing about the story that's breaking today as we record this um, is my understanding of it is probably a bit skewed from the fact that there isn't a lot of information in the reports of it which is that the PFA which stands for Polite Football Association as I understand it um, they had an award ceremony over the last at some point in the last few days And the institution of football has had some problems with racism in the last few months.
0: (laughs) In in the last history of football.
1: Yeah, arguably it's had some problems with racism forever. But um, specifically, people seem to actually be getting into trouble for it over the last few months. In the midst of all this, they were having an awards thing. Mm -hmm. So they got entertainment for the awards thing. Because they're quite sensitive about the whole race issue at the moment, yeah. arguably not as sensitive as they should have been for the last several years, but that's besides the point. Um, when they hired the entertainment, they put a bunch of waivers in the contract about not swearing, which is odd when you're hiring comedians, but, you know, I get it, and the, for there to be no racial content and so apparently this was all agreed, and they hired Reginald uh, D. Hunter. I, I guess he's in a black American comedian? He is, yeah. Who now lives over here. He's very... I I don't know if he's actually a British uh, citizen yeah, but he's been here a while. You know, there are a few comedians who don't necessarily... are even more successful here than they were in, in the US or whatever, so they stick around. And he's cool. I like him, uh, but I'm just stating I have my confirmation bias here is that I like him, (laughs) so I'm possibly going to be skewed towards him. So they hired him and they put all these waivers in because obviously they're quite sensitive about people being racist because they've been very racist in the past and now they've realised it's bad or they've been told it's bad by society at large and so they think they should probably do something about it.
0: Don't you think that there is something ever so slightly tokenist about who they chose as their comedian? maybe i don't i don't know possibly i mean i'm just i'm just throwing it out there i've got no idea what their motivations really are but if you're saying they've had an awful lot of issues with racism at the moment and they want to kind of feel like that they've dealt with that to the point where whoever they're going to bring in they're going to say you're not allowed to swear and you're not allowed to make any jokes about race that mm. perhaps it would have been difficult for them to bring in a uh, caucasian stand-up um ideally they should have gone for an ethnic minority disabled uh female comedian and yeah. they would have probably covered all the bases and everyone would have given them a round of applause for being so open-minded with their choice of comedian but um maybe that's not their motivation at all it just like in that context it sounds like well if they didn't go for him then mm-hmm. they could have only gone for a white guy and then they could have easily been accused of being racist
1: lenny henry would have been quite expensive probably hmm. that's true yeah, what you're saying is why wouldn't they've gone for Russell Howard?
0: I'm not naming names. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or um or Russell Kane or someone like that. I or one of the Russells. I don't know, it's possible. I I kind of considered that but hadn't considered no, I hadn't really considered that, but there's there's possibly something there and that makes what actually happened even more absurd. <laughs> As near as I can tell, and I haven't seen video of this, and I want to see video of this, but the only thing that the, the what, there's been some controversy, and they are asking for uh, Reginald D. Hunter's feedback because they believe he broke the terms of the contract. Now, the thing is, everything I have read about it says the way in which he broke it was by using the N-word. Um, if I could uh, do inverted commas, properly while talking, I'd probably say it properly because I hate the euphemistic term, the N-word. We're, well, we're talking about the word. And
0: Listen, Nick, let me enable you. Say nigger is absolutely fine. I'm not going to be protective on this at all. I think considering the subject that we're talking about and the things that we are going to be talking about, if there's a particular word that needs to be said, we should just say it. We don't even really have to be particularly clear about the fact that we don't mean any offense by it. it you know, in the context of what we're talking about, it should be particularly clear that we're just using a word as we would any other word, with or without inverted commas. So, I mean if, if you feel com- if you feel more comfortable saying the N-word, say the N-word. If you if you just rather say the word than say it i mean i wouldn't choose to use nigger anywhere because i know that people are sensitive about it but more to the point i don't have any context in which to say it most of the time but i think for the purposes of what we're talking about tonight if if you just rather say the word than say the word
1: what i'm a little bit worried about is i'm worried that if i say it if i have too much freedom to say it what if i like it and start <laughs> saying it all the time That'd that'd be awful. uh, One of my friends has said that as long as we are singing along to rap music or something like that, I am allowed to say whatever I want around her. She's black. And I haven't taken that permission because what if I like it? And then what if I actually turn into a racist? What if I'm already a racist and I just didn't realize yet? and it all comes out now my my context for this is possibly because i've had it directed at me in the past by really really confused people in small towns i've lived in um yeah pretty confused is i i don't (laughs) like the word nigger because why would i but mainly the the mainly my cultural context for that is hearing it in rap music to Mm -hmm. be honest Mm -hmm. i really hate the word packy i hate it And I think part of the reason I hate that, well, it's a really ugly word. I didn't hear it in even remotely a neutral or positive way when I was growing up. And I often heard it as an insult either aimed at me or other people, especially later on when I wasn't living in in such a multicultural place in my teens. And the truth of it is, even though I feel like you should be able to say any word you can when you're having a, a discussion of it, there are certain words that they feel ugly and I quite like them feeling ugly, and mm-hmm. we've never really discussed this, but there's a word that we never say on the other podcast uh, that I do. It's not that we don't say the word the rest of the time when we're talking to each other, but I think it actually helps us not using that word because it kind of reins us in on all of the other stuff. We could otherwise we'd be just effing and jeffing constantly on that podcast. To be honest, my co-hosts on the comic podcast I do I have disgusting minds, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> and if it wasn't for us not saying what I'm going to euphemistically call the c-word, I don't have a problem with it. The rest of the time, they would just the, the floodgates would open and it'd just be filth flan, filth, flan the whole way through it would just be cuss after cuss after cuss. It would be. So, I mean, I might say it, I might get the nerve up to say it, but it's more I'm I'm worried if I get used to saying it, then it will stop having the cash it has. And I think it's a good thing that there are certain words we have to think twice about saying. I would feel weird about telling a black person that they couldn't use a word that has been traditionally used to describe them in a negative context because it's offensive, though. That's just me personally. I'd feel a bit funny about it. This is what has caused the problem with the PFA, which uh, stands for Please Face Away. Yes, apparently Reginald D. Hunter used the word nigger quite a lot during his show. And the PFA didn't like that because they didn't want him to do any racial material.
0: Okay, they asked for something and didn't get it.
1: Apparently what they were doing was very, uh, very deliberately not laughing. That's what the people assembled were apparently doing.
0: The thing is,
1: to me personally, if all he was doing was using the word to describe other people he knew, if he was deliberately doing it to make people uncomfortable, which I'm not ruling out, it's not beyond a comedian to do something deliberately to make the audience uncomfortable, then I consider that racial material. That wasn't what they asked for. I think it's a little bit weird, them asking for that specifically, considering their problems. Hmm. If he's just doing it because that's just how Reginald D. Hunter talks, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but, you know, it might be when he's not doing daytime TV, that might just be how Reginald D. Hunter talks when he's talking to another person, then it isn't racial. It's just a black guy talking about his life. And how is that innately... I mean, okay, it is innately racial if you think that he's in a white institution that traditionally doesn't let black people have a voice. Um, But if it's in a modern setting, one person uh, person used the analogy that it was like hiring Frankie Boyle to do a benefit for disabled kids or something like that. I'm not entirely convinced that that is what it's like at all because Frankie Boyle isn't a disabled kid. If you had a disabled comedian going to a benefit... And making jokes about the condition of being disabled, of course, some people would be offended. Some disabled people would be offended. They might not feel that their particular disability was represented. It's not, it's not an ideal analogy because being disabled and being black aren't the same thing, no matter how much some people might believe that. But Frankie Boyle's this able-bodied Scottish dude. Do you know what I mean? It's not the same as a black guy talking about life and using language that he's comfortable with. Quite. And for all we know, that's what he did. No one has said that isn't what he did. But by dint of him using the language that he uses, and that language, including words that have been used negatively against black players it was racial material. And the thing about that for me is it plays into something that I kind of believe and people have argued with me lots about and it's possible I'm just an idiot. And that's that the idea of political correctness, the idea of everyone considering other people when they talk and not being arseholes is quite a powerful one and means that, you know, people aren't just offensive or aren't actually abusive in the way they talk to other people. But as a concept the idea of political correctness, it it feels to me to be very much more about the the people in the establishment thinking, well, we can't have people just talking about stuff willy-nilly because I'm not sure what's appropriate talk. And so they're obviously not going to be sure what's appropriate talk. So they're just going to be effing and jeffing and swearing and making uh, jokes about handicapped people in front of handicapped people. And pretty soon it's just going to be completely out of control. We can't trust people. To make decent judgments on this stuff. Uh, but what they're really saying is they can't be trusted. So, what you get is this weird situation where this predominantly white organisation that is having problems with racism in their ranks, and we're not talking about black on white racism, we're talking about white on black racism here, they want to handle racism in their ranks by having nobody talk about racism or race at all. The problem with that is that's kind of how, like, you get these weird cycles of people being racist under cover of darkness all the time. This code of silence where, you know, we won't have problems with people being racist because we just won't be talking about race at all. Yeah. Doesn't stop people saying horrible, abusive things. It just means everyone's kind of scared at the same time to say anything. So you get the people who are going to be scummy, continuing to be scummy, but everyone else is too scared to say anything, which is kind of what I was getting at with my thing about political correctness. On the one hand, you get the vast majority of people trying to be really careful not to tread on toes, and then you get the BNP and UKIP and the Daily Mail who don't really give a shit about saying anything continuing to say everything that they were already saying but getting to do it while also getting to act like the aggrieved party you can't say anything these days without fear of offending someone and the truth is that you kind of can't but why is offense such a big deal abuse is a huge deal actual abuse where you actually make someone feel not only like they're persecuted but like they can't get out from under it which is really the thing i mean i think that's uh, speaking from my own experience, the reason I never felt um, when you feel bullied or when you feel aggrieved, it's normally because at the same time you can't get out from under it. The worst yeah. thing in the world is someone saying something to you and you not being able to respond to it or not feeling strong enough to respond to it. That's abuse, as far as I'm concerned. But if someone says something douchey to you and you can say something douchey back to them, but your douchey thing is smarter and funnier. And whatever and they feel chastened because they shouldn't have said the douchey thing to you in the first place hmm. that's fine that's just conversation that's just people talking to each other um, so you can be offended by something that someone else says to you that's a natural reaction it's just an emotional reaction but why does that have to be avoided why can't we be offended sometimes what's wrong with us hearing things that make us uncomfortable sometimes is a genuine question that i am asking you
0: um it's interesting that you actually brought the word uh, abuse up as well because um arguably there is quite a wide and vast clear blue sea between what is abuse and what is offensive i should think that there is a clearer interpretation over what would actually be abuse what would be an attack you know, if someone's actually thumping you in the face, you are being attacked. It's very clear to the person doing it, to the person receiving it, and to anybody watching what's actually happening. And, you know, clearly, if it can be stopped, it should be stopped. It's not always easy to stand in the, in the middle of two people scrapping and, and, and trying to get them to stop. But essentially, we all realise that's a very bad thing. The person throwing the punch should be throwing the punch. The person receiving it certainly shouldn't be receiving it, if it's all possible. Um, and that obviously moves into um, derogatory language when specifically targeted i think you'd have to say that that was an attack that was abusive would you agree yeah yeah definitely when it's a subject that might be controversial that some people may be sensitive about but it's not actually being particularly targeted at anyone then it can't be abusive can
1: it well I don't think so, and you raise uh, that raises quite an interesting question. I think we don't necessarily agree on the merit of Ricky Gervais <laughs> <laughs> N- naming names, or um, and I, I'm not sure how we both feel about someone like Frankie Boyle, but. If something is more targeted, if someone's naming names, which is something that Frankie Boyle has done in the past, but they're doing it in a place where they clearly don't give a damn if the person, if the subject of what they're saying is going to hear it, but it's very unlikely they will. There are a lot of people that Frankie Boyle can reasonably expect are not going to be following him on Twitter. Uh, Susan Boyle or or someone like that is probably not going to be following Frankie Boyle on Twitter, even though they're related
0: that's correct they both have the same surname and they're both from scotland so they must 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 be be related
1: must be related
0: them and danny boyle oh yeah can you imagine the fun they have at christmas
1: yeah i I imagine it's turbulent and fun uh danny boyle probably brings the drugs because he did a film about drugs once so he must always have drugs and a spaceship
0: and also a stadium in his back garden
1: yes that too
0: um (laughs)
1: So if Frankie Boyle makes a joke about Susan Boyle and he names her, that's not very nice. It might even be considered offensive. If it's on Twitter, it's reasonable to assume that if someone's choosing to see what he's saying on Twitter, because it's a choice, it's elective, it's not abuse so much as it's just offensive. We can argue about whether or not it's offensive, but it probably is knowing the source, because I know him really well. But if he was saying it to Susan Boyle, that would be abuse. Yeah. Especially if he was kind of, he kind of cornered her at a party, like at one of their family get-togethers. You know when it starts to get awkward because they're Scottish, so they're probably drinking.
0: Eh, around, around about, you know, three, four o'clock in the afternoon.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, like a difficult Christmas party. And they're all difficult Christmas parties at the Boyle family. Um, so, if he's cornered her and he's, like, shouting it in her face with a Boyle family DNA spitting out of his mouth onto her cheeks, that's abuse. Of her face. Yeah, of of her face and of her person and Mm. of her personality and of her self-esteem. But if he's tweeting it and it's just going out there and you have to elect to be paying attention to him, but then someone takes that tweet or that joke and publishes it or goes up to Susan Boyle with a microphone and says, Frankie Boyle, uh, your cousin, just said this about you. Who is abusing her? Is it the person sharing it with her <laughs> or is it the person who originally said it?
0: That's an absolutely brilliant thing to talk about. This might be one of the smartest things we've ever had to analyse in the history of the show.
1: Mm. We might even solve the Boyle family animosity.
0: We may. We actually uh, could be giving them an opportunity to have their first peaceful Christmas where um, <laughs> the infighting doesn't happen until about 7pm.
1: <laughs> oh, it's a Christmas
0: miracle. <laughs> that might have been a bit racist. I'm sorry. Mm. I'm sure they can take it on the chin. Um, you're right. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be on Twitter, but it is, a, it is a good example because you can sort of make it a little bit physical in that respect, can't you? But it could easily be him making a joke about uh, Susan Boyle uh, as a stand-up to an audience, whether it's in an untelevised performance in a theatre somewhere, whether it's, you know, a part of a DVD or something. Comedians will make material about specific people. Mm. They just will i'm not saying they are soft targets or hard targets or trying to make any sort of value judgment but they are going to talk about people that we all know about because if they talked about someone that we don't know about if it was a specific person mr um i don't know um victor davies of derby um sorry vic (laughs) that would be very specific and, and targeted and potentially cruel but no one would know who he is and therefore without a whole bunch of setup it wouldn't be funny you're going to pick a target of someone who is in the public eye because we all, with any hope, would know something about them. Therefore, the chance of... I'm analysing comedy. It's brilliant. I'm destroying it in front of your very eyes. But
1: <laughs> in the case of Frankie Boyle, it's quite difficult for him to talk about someone we don't know because apparently his entire family are in show business.
0: See, it's, it's not about what you know. It's who you know or yeah. um, who you share your DNA with on their cheeks yeah. at Christmas, <laughs> which is probably a topic left alone. But yes... He isn't intending, with that joke, to hurt anybody. I will happily make that assumption. What he's attempting to do is make someone laugh by ridiculing either something about that person, something about what that person does, that was poor grammar, or something about how we react to the world in which that person exists. Those are sort of the places where the jokes come from. Um, And okay, fair enough. Sometimes it can be something to do with the fact that the person isn't conventionally attractive or maybe they're overweight and they could, you know, arguably they might be lazier jokes to make, but comedians will go there and there's no reason why they shouldn't. It's down to us whether we want to laugh about it or not. That's sort of our choice. Either we find it funny and we laugh, we don't really find it amusing and we don't laugh and we've already voted on the success of that gag. Um and, and that's it, and it's transcendental and it goes away and that's that. Fine, it might be in, uh, printed somewhere, it might be published on Twitter, it could be on a DVD for all time until, you know, DVDs expire and we download everything directly into our brains through um, digital owls. But <laughs> even even if it was permanently recorded, there's no real intention of abusing that person. There will probably be an acknowledgement that that gag has a potential to offend, but it's a, it's a risk you're going to be willing to take. Because you're going to offend a few people, the rest of them will laugh, either because they know it's offensive and get a guilty chuckle, or they just genuinely find it funny and you don't worry about whether it's offensive or not. Mm. Now, when it's brought to Susan Boyle, where she wouldn't have been exposed to it before, whether, uh, she wasn't looking for it, but that item will be brought to her and now it's being pushed on her and they want a reaction. And your question was, you know, in this long-winded way of getting to the answer, your question was, well, who's doing the abusing? Well, it's not Frankie Boyle.
1: No, he said it and probably forgot about it. He said it and
0: forgot about it and his intention, although we may never be able to get it from him directly, we can only infer it, but I will infer that his intention was not to hurt Susan Boyle. And he would expect as partners in show business and as cousins Mm. that it'll just brush off. It won't last who is doing the abusing who is being offensive surely it's the person who's doing it who's bringing it to her and going oh look at this look at this what do you think what do you think because they're the one who is now invading um, her personal space and potentially abusive if 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 not just offensive with their behavior because it's not just about the thing that they're showing in fact the thing that they're showing sort of becomes irrelevant but just by their behavior of them wanting to get a reaction trying to get some sort of outrage from her. Now, they're the one who's being abusive, they're the one that's causing offence. And I think from Susan Ball's point of view, she would be unhappy. She would probably find it uh, uh, offensive that someone would behave that way towards her like they would think it was okay to do that without even a how do you do to start mm. off with and depending on the manner in which they are interacting with her yeah sure they could be abusive as well haha you're a fat cow look at what Frankie Ball said he said you're a fat cow he says with his camcorder recording everything <laughs> yeah that's pretty abusive
1: I imagine she's pretty pissed off with people getting all up in her family business as well
0: there could well be someone who sees let's stick with the tweet thing who sees that and goes oh Susan Boyle look at this what do you think nah but there could easily also be someone who doesn't know Susan Boyle at all who may or may not be a Susan Boyle fan and sees that and takes offence anyway Hmm. depending on the person they could be taking offence because they too are unconventionally attractive and can sing well in a shower or they might not really care one way or the other, but they see something that they have deemed as offensive, whether they themselves have been personally offended or not, and want to act on that somehow, hmm. either, either by replying directly or talking to a newspaper and going, oh, look at this, isn't this horrible, whatever. But stirring controversy when it didn't really exist beforehand. Do you see what I mean? So it's kind of taking on the cause, if you like.
1: But there are probably loads of different reasons why people do it. But there are two main ones. One is that they can relate in some way, Mm. mainly to the victim. But then there's also this kind of, that I find quite condescending, sort of, oh, poor Susan Ball, she can't look after herself, so I'd better jump in and protect her, sort of instinct that a lot of people have. But you see this with guys trying to protect women in conversations in a way that can be quite condescending. You see people speaking for other genders and races. And there's a level at which we we have empathy. So we can have empathy for other groups. But once we start, I think when it becomes, for me, unsightly um, really and a little bit irritating is when people start to speak for Groups That actually can speak for themselves quite well, quite oh, yeah. articulately, you know, um, and that's and that's a thing that happens quite a lot. I mean, there was the Gordon Brown situation. Okay, admittedly, our statesman should be being more careful about whether or not microphones are switched on. But there was the situation with him and the old lady that she need never have heard about. There's kind of a classic moment of TV and of the way the media handles things where there's actually footage of the journalist doorstepping the stupid, old, ignorant, old woman, old old racist, ignorant, old racist woman, um, who I don't think was really that old or racist. Well, she was old. But I think she was only as racist as any other old person. Um, Whenever I think of something being like spun out of nothing by the media, that's mm. the thing I immediately go to. Of them doorstepping her and saying, well, what do you think of this stuff Gordon Brown said about you? And her being genuinely shocked and then them being able to report her being genuinely shocked as if she was genuinely shocked that... He had said such offensive things about her, when actually she was just genuinely shocked because she hadn't realised there was a negative side to that whole conversation. <laughs> she, she'd just been stopped by someone on the street and told that a conversation that she had had... And normal people aren't really equipped to deal with that sort of thing, having microphones stuck in our faces.
0: no. No. The whole circus around the bigot gate, um, as every controversy must have, um, a a swinging piece of fence assigned to it. (laughs) It was just crazy. Like you say, it it, it really was a nothing. Mm. The fact that all his microphone was still on and he just said, oh, she's a bigoted woman. What was that all about? I didn't really see at the time. I didn't really see any harm done by it. it. She was clearly a... I won't be unkind to her. I won't call her bigoted, even if she was. She was a woman of age who was concerned about immigration and about its effect on employment. And she had an opportunity to speak to the prime minister of the time. Um, She was probably a bit angry. She was probably a bit flustered. She was probably a bit lost for words because... This was her one chance to speak to the prime minister, and she's surrounded by cameras. She's not media trained. She hasn't picked the right words. But in a flurry, and a fury, this stuff's coming out because she had the chance to do it. Gordon Brown potentially felt like he was doorstepped by that. Um, From a media point of view, it wasn't a particularly uh, beneficial thing for him to be seen to be caught up with. He had to deal with it off the cuff in a way that perhaps he wasn't really prepared for that day or whatever. And he gets back into the car and he finds the whole thing to be a bit of a dissatisfying experience. And understandably, he sounds off about it. That's that. From both parties, you can see that that was probably not their ideal performance. I would argue perhaps only one of those two people would have enough self-awareness to realise it later. But then what happens is, is that it becomes an opportunity while the story is so hot and so raw to kind of stir the whole thing up before anybody's had a chance to have a moment of deep thought about it in which everything would have just calmed down and it wouldn't have been a big deal at all. To the point where you, where this story ran on for close to a week and oh, there, were, it was and, and there were, I, I can't remember the exact amount of time, but it was probably two to three days between the whole story starting up and gordon brown having to go back to her house tail between his legs and to apologize not really to her or for her but to everybody
1: well to every slightly racist old lady well, no, but just to everyone, just to, everybody, yeah. just to
0: everyone, because he had to, because by that point, the story had been spun in such a way that he was an absolutely terrible man for being so nasty about an old woman. And he had to apologise not just to her, but to everybody for letting us all down. Now, I don't think he was necessarily the greatest prime minister we ever had, but neither do I think he was a total disaster. But he suffered in a highly media trained age where other politicians would either not get themselves into that situation in the first place or would know exactly how to handle it. And if they saw that there was a microphone attached to them, they'd be very careful with what we'd say. And I think we have those now, and they all lead the three major parties. And what a (laughs) fantastically vibrant political atmosphere we have because of that. Quite
1: aside from anything, what's interesting is that the media jumped an old lady and confronted her with the idea that she might, to some people, appear to be a bigot, which might be something she'd never considered before. <laughs> um, and that never became a part of the conversation. It became a part of the conversation among lefties and liberals on social media when they were talking to people who they already knew agreed with them and, <laughs> and who were also prone to offence and outrage about as to whether or not some people in this country are racist but it didn't become the opportunity for a conversation about how wrong people's idea of the state of immigration in this country is. So there's a lot of offence flying around there about something that could have become a a sensible conversation about immigration or in the case of uh, Reginald D. Hunter about race. Mm. And, you know, well, actually, the larger issue there is the institution of football about race. These are conversations we could be having. This is where uh, my main feeling about offence comes up. I think being offended is a horrible feeling. It doesn't feel good. It's not a positive feeling. But if every time we are offended, there is uh, what our American cousins call a learnable, a teachable moment. I think I've said that before, actually. That's incredibly tacky. What I call a teachable moment, I've called it that more than once because we have the option at that point to sort of examine why. Without sort of wanting to get on a soapbox, it's kind of those guys' discomfort and opinions that are the ones that should be being brought into question as well. We could have a debate now about why a black guy getting up on stage and talking however the fuck he wants to talk is going to be offensive and for what reasons. It might be offensive because you don't want to hear bad language. That's fine. I understand that. Some people can be quite prudish about that, and I get it. I don't swear around small children if I can help it for exactly that (laughs) reason.
0: Life partner Jane and I walked past two swearing young children this morning. <laughs> I mean, they, don't, they obviously don't care about whether or not you're offended. So I wouldn't necessarily want to set a bad example in front of them, but they kind of already know the words. <laughs> it might be.
1: And this might be another one of those cases. I don't swear around small children who are with their parents, but am I more worried about their parents thinking badly of me for swearing but yeah, I understand that you might not like to hear certain words around you. And I, and I get yeah. that. And and yeah. that, that can maybe be the issue. But the issue, I think, should be the world of football, when trying to handle racism, decides the easiest way is to just not talk about it at all. And that's the case over and over again. I have um, an anecdotal example, which is from uh, the distant past. When I was a kid at school, and I would have been about 13 or 14, I only ever got in two fights and they were at the same school. It's like um, oh, I thought you were this... going to say
0: at the same time then. That would have been no, quite at the impressive. Same, That would
1: have been weird. Yeah, I'd have been fighting two guys
0: off. <laughs> you would have been beating two guys off.
1: Yeah, two guys off. Uh, when I say I was in, a, in two fights, what I mean is I got beaten up twice, quite comprehensively. Um, it was a very multicultural school, and I say this because it's in contrast to schools I went to later. But I'd always kind of lived in towns where there there were a few Greeks. In this particular group, one of my friends was a Muslim, and there were lots of other Muslims. There were some Sikhs and Hindus and all sorts. And if anything, I learned later that the tension really was between, I don't know if it was the Hindus and the Muslims, or I get confused as to which groups it is that don't like each other very much. Anyway... I had been at the doctor's during the day because I had hurt my back. And I turned up in the middle of a lesson, and one of my friends, who was a Sikh guy, knew that I'd had a bad back earlier on, uh, but didn't know I'd actually had something wrong with me. So when, when I came in, he sort of was with lots of bravado. He kind of patted me on the back and went, Hey, how are you doing, Nick? And hurt me quite badly. And I went, Ah, you bastard! And he went, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt you. And then I went, oh, uh," and went off to my seat bearing mind this is memory this is an old story so i think i'm remembering it right sure so i went off to my seat i was grizzling because i was in pain and the lesson carried on and i wasn't really conscious of what else was going on but there was this dude who was on the road behind us who was this real jerk sort of a provocateur type of guy there's this white guy who used to hang around with his mates they all used to chuckle and be just malicious i hadn't really noticed a racial component to anything they'd done before And to be honest, I don't think this was a racial component. I think this was a dickhead component that was going on. But what I wasn't aware of was that the whole way through this lesson, while I was talking to the person next to me about what my friend had done and how much he'd hurt me, this guy was whispering in my friend's ear. The first I knew of this, I think it was the last break in the day. You know, you used to get a lunch break break and a break in the morning, break in the afternoon. I think it was in the last break. I saw my friend, my Sikh friend, coming across the playground to me, and he looked a bit stressed out, but I didn't really register it. And I went to say hello, and he just hauled up. I noticed he was crying, and he just punched me, maybe once or twice in the face. And I didn't like it very much. I didn't really respond particularly well. Mm -hmm. Once I'd been to the nurse and everything, we both got hauled up to either the headmaster or the deputy headmaster or something like that. And what it transpired had happened was... The whole time we'd been in this lesson, the squirrely dude on the back row had been telling him that I had called him a black bastard when I'd actually called him a bastard. Yeah. I didn't know any of this at all. It just... And, and to be honest, when I heard this, this all came out in front of the headmaster. And I was so stunned that my friend could believe that I had said that, that I was in tears because of that. He was in tears because it was all very emotional. I was like, well, I'm not surprised you hit me if you thought I'd said that, because I was really sort of an earnest little kid (laughs) at the time. (laughs) Um, The way the teacher responded to it, once this had all come out, the way they responded to it was to say, well, of course, Nick, you shouldn't use language like that. I got admonished, he got told off for hitting me, and that was it. I I got punched and got told off because I'd used the word bastard and the guy who had turned it into this huge thing just wasn't talked about it. it wasn't even discussed the subject of racism didn't even come up in that session and my feeling is kind of that situations like this replicate all the time we get hung up on a particular thing that someone said and don't discuss the wider issues that come up. Why did the dude at the back of the room turn it into a racial thing? Why didn't that become the issue? Why wasn't that what we started discussing? It just didn't even come up. I apparently deserved to get punched because I said bastard.
0: Well, you didn't deserve to get punched. Um, You deserve to be admonished for swearing. Mm. And the kid who punched you deserved to be admonished because he punched you sure so there are two errors there um they weren't necessarily directly related i'll give you that to be honest when you said that the word that you said was bastard i thought oh god because (laughs) traditionally the words that came before bastard was packy really yeah oh i mean they would be used separately but if you were going to use the two together they would always be those two together it would never be like wanker or anything afterwards yeah i can see that so I kind of anticipated that at some point it would have got misheard or um misrecalled. But you yeah, I mean I understand the indignation in there. It's like well there's this guy in the middle he did something. Now he's not in this room but he was involved and you know he should be punished as well but What's tough there is how do you address that? Because if if you pulled him in and said, well, these two guys have said this and we think you're involved, then he could just say no. And there probably isn't enough to go on. But also, even if the guy in the middle said what he said, the guy who hit you still had the opportunity to not hit you. He could have reacted in a different way. So you kind of didn't need to involve the man in the middle, which is interesting, of course, because earlier we were talking about, well, you know, if someone, if a third party brings an offensive tweet to you, then who's actually causing the offense? But there's still the onus on on the kid who hit you to make that decision. They could have easily have not hit you and just come up to you. And if they were upset and confused, they could have just said, I'm upset and confused. And you two could have just had a conversation and sorted it out like gentlemen
1: yeah we could we should have done and i I get what you're saying what you're basically saying is there was absolutely no way uh, we should create a situation where it was our slightly dark-skinned words uh, he was more dark-skinned than me but we were both quite dark-skinned our dark-skinned words against the white kid because obviously the white kid would come out on top so we should have bonded together and and found out some way to revenge kill
0: him Um, I'm not going to condone it, but I could understand how that situation would unfold.
1: (laughs) Although, I mean, I I possibly... I got caught up when I was talking about it and possibly made it sound uh, like, emotionally speaking, it's still writ quite large in in my head. But my my overall point was, it's always sort of stuck with me that the words themselves were all... They weren't really that important. None of them were as offensive or as big a deal as any of us thought they were. I, I kind of, at the time... I was absolutely heartbroken that someone would think I had said something like that. But it's amazing how much power, just the notional idea that maybe I said something offensive, caused this friend of mine to just lose it. And I get that it caused him to lose it. But at the same time, that's a disproportionate response. You're absolutely right. The smart thing to do would have been to actually talk to me about it, and we could have smoothed things out. And maybe as we get older, you'd hope that we learn to do that stuff. Um, except you look around and actually know that isn't what happens. Instead, people do fly off the handle and imagine slight or a word misplaced or in my head, the sneaky white dude on the back row is the daily mail or well, just the media in general, to be honest, the modern media. Um, It never needed to become a situation had There not been that third party just tweaking people's offense receptors just to see what see what happened and and to get some sort of uh, glee or feedback from it then it probably would have just dissipated and been nothing yeah this isn't strictly about offense except it kind of is i don't necessarily believe that we have the right to be immune or protected from offense and i don't think it's healthy to We have the right to be protected from abuse, and we should focus on the situations when people are actually abused, uh, and and people don't even talk about it because it's complicated and boring or whatever. There are too many of us on this planet, and someone is always going to be at the bottom of the pile. I'm not talking about poor people and rich people. I'm talking about someone's always going to be at a point where they feel they aren't represented or... They aren't being respected enough. But the truth is that those are both completely imaginary ideas. They're imaginary concepts. Most people are just trying to survive their own lives. And the good people are trying not to fuck over other people at the same time. But it's easy to do that when it comes down to, you know, not cutting someone up in a car on the Mm -hmm. road or not stealing opportunities from people. That stuff is um, easy and we should all be working a lot harder on it. But it's really, really difficult to moderate your speech just to get what you are thinking out of your head most of the time. Most of us struggle with that. How are people going to include consideration of everybody in everything they say? We're going to say the wrong things sometimes. It isn't necessarily a bad thing if that sometimes happens. And if someone wants to challenge you about it, that's fine. But if they become a douche about challenging you about it, then that becomes a whole other thing.
0: The concern, I think, from my point of view, is the very fine balance that has to be made between correctly challenging someone for using a word that many people find offensive because they've used it in a potentially offensive way or they're using a word or they're using a particular phrase in a a context that's pretty clear but someone's misread it and that someone has to feel like they've got to step in to challenge them on it because someone else might be offended to the point where it's less about trying to correct a behavior and more about one person trying to be more right than the other person. Yeah, for sure. And like you were saying earlier, it's like, well, we could be having a better conversation. You know, we could actually be talking about, well, do you think that's the right word? You know, are you aware of where it comes from, blah, 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 and and turn that into a moment where two people sort of share and and, and learn something into a, a battle of wits and wills between the person who doesn't feel like they've said anything wrong and the person who feels offended or is being offended on someone else's behalf and has decided there's a battle that needs to be won here which turns into a very ugly scrap and, and, and certainly, certainly doesn't help anybody. And I think it's the kind of behaviour that, as you were talking about earlier, sort of creates the atmosphere of political correctness in the respect that we have to completely reframe our language in order to make sure nobody is hurt instead of allowing people to just find their own words or to find what is right or what is wrong for them and what doesn't offend people or upset people, but is still them expressing themselves as freely as they can, into a list of acceptable phrases, of often very awkward phrases, to become the new terms. How much of that is a genuine desire to find a better word? Uh, how much of that could be the fact that what you're actually doing is you're starting to censor language and sort of limit and draw back the words that are available to us it's a difficult thing to explain obviously because you don't want people running around saying things that hurt other people's feelings Mm. but how much of this is just moderation how much of this is censorship and is there that possibility that the way that people react to this stuff now very quickly very quick to be offended very quick to act on that feeling of being offended you know something can happen You know, in terms of comedy again, um, one of the things that came up relatively recently, like three or four months ago, was um, Channel 4's uh, god-awful panel show. I forget the the name of the show, but it's basically like a panel quiz show and it reviews the whole of the year. And it's an opportunity for stand-up comedians with really good agents to crack a few easy gags for like three hours (laughs) and earn a lot of money. Uh, Jack Whitehall um, made actually a clean, in terms of language, a clean joke about the sex life of the Queen and Prince Philip. If you actually look at the, at the words in the gag, there's not a swear word, there's, there's nothing disgusting being said. But purely because it was a speculative gag on the sex life of our monarch. 160 people complained to channel four that became a news story the daily mail were really having a go and again it just sort of becomes this thing about is this the kind of people that we're bringing up and isn't comedy awful Mm. and blah 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 blah. Uh, from to to deviate ever so slightly i think in in many ways the state of mainstream comedy is very awful because it's just so bland because in in order to capture as many people as possible you are going down the safe observational route you know aren't posts boxes red, and things that aren't really challenging and yeah okay fine comedy doesn't have to challenge anybody if it doesn't want to It can just make some very simple gags but in the mix of being quick to offend it seems like a lot of people have forgotten comedy is them to make you laugh sure but more often than not it's making you laugh because it's about something that's uncomfortable hmm In terms of anything about the monarchy, a lot of people do get very stuck up about it because, oh, you can't say anything about, you know, any of the royals. How dare you? Um, Well, they're just public figures like anybody else. They should be perfectly viable targets. But there's such a demand in those situations to complain and to demand a result the complaining isn't enough anymore to say that, you know, you could have genuinely been offended personally and you have the right to complain, sure, but that may, you have to accept that that may just well be the end of it, that you can protest about it and that it may be heard, but nothing may come of it and that there is no point asking for the head of comedy a channel or light entertainment or whatever they call over there and expect that to happen and expect the fact that you just have a grudge or a complaint or a slightly uncomfortable feeling that you deserve to have everything around you changed to fit you you don't have the right to do that No. Well, I mean, and it's not healthy.
1: Whenever you watch one of these shows about bringing up children, basically you quite often have to tell children something they don't like to hear. It's not a perfect analogy, but when you don't, they have a tendency to become very difficult. We aren't equipped to get everything we want. We came out of the, I always end up doing this, but we sort of came out of caves and we hunted and gathered And we had a difficult time. And then we lived in mud huts. And then we lived in shitty situations, tilling fields for lords. And the whole way through our evolution, we've kind of been struggling. And now we're comfortable. And it becomes apparent that given the opportunity to be relatively comfortable, we're still never content. So there kind of has to be a point at which we don't always get our own way and we don't always get to be heard. Mm. It's good that we all get to be heard at some level. We get to vote. That's good. We get to choose what we watch. We get to choose what we buy. It's good that we get to take to Twitter and have our opinion. And I don't really have, I mean, it can be a bit frustrating and tiring when you see these waves of discontent across something like a social network or whatever. But I generally get that it's good that people have the outlet as long as it doesn't always become, bring me the head of the head of comedy. But like, people don't need protecting from words most of the time. And you can't do it anyway. It's it's futile. And what you what you were talking about with the um the changing of language to be as inoffensive as possible is it's this weird homogenizing of language. And it, it does result in nothing meaning anything. And nobody's really served by it. And well you get this confusing situation where the way to handle the, the fact that you have a problem with race is to act like race isn't a thing that just doesn't exist you get this really confusing thing where the males the daily mail and the other newspapers are constantly saying people shouldn't be saying this about this and so they should be stamped out i think i've already covered this really and then at the same time in the same paper they're like well you just can't say anything anymore people are always really offended (laughs) i think the thing about not being protected from offense is a Most people aren't protected from offence and to suggest that it's something that is possible is just a bit naive and also a little bit counterproductive, a little bit offensive to those of us who nobody's ever tried to protect from offence. But at the same time, nobody's skin ever gets any thicker. Nobody ever learns what happens when you don't get to manipulate the world around you so that it's comfortable for you. I did want to just mention, and it's not strictly speaking about offence, but it is about protection and how futile it is and how maybe it doesn't always help. And that's, um, I think we've talked a little bit together, but possibly not on the podcast about the idea of trigger warnings and and triggers and how there's this, this movement, well, not just on the internet, but in um, social justice circles that suggests that any time that you might be showing somebody something in your entertainment artifact Mm. you should be warning them about every single thing that could be triggered and i mean there's an honest concern there because people who've been through traumatic things it's better for them if those traumatic things don't end up getting brought up by something that they weren't expecting to see. And um I potentially naively have always kind of suggested, well, although I'm quite lucky to have never been through any really extreme trauma, if the trauma is bad enough or the abuse or the stuff you've been through is bad enough, anything that is familiar to that scenario can potentially trigger it. And that can be debilitating for people. But there is a, a solid argument that we can't necessarily make the whole world proof against that happening. Because the real problem is that people have the thing that happened to them that might get triggered. The the specific example I wanted to bring up was, uh, I recently read an article, and we'll try and find it for the show notes, but I recently read a post by a woman who had played the Tomb Raider game, the most recent one. This is a game that prior to it coming out was uh, extremely controversial because of the way it represented gender and uh, sexual violence. Because somebody involved with the game said something daft and ill-advised, at some conference or convention. He obviously wasn't briefed well enough and said something that was a bit flippant about the way that violence on women is is represented in the game. So anyway, the game finally came out and the poster read by this woman was, she was saying that she was playing through it and there is a moment where there is a quick time event where the control is pretty much taken out of your hands and you're just pressing buttons through a cinematic sequence to, to try and make the outcome work where a man picks up the young Lara Croft by the throat and is is choking the life out of her. And it's quite difficult, and apparently most people are so shocked by how graphic and intense this scene is, and because it's a quick-time event, it's very difficult to get them right first time. Most people end up seeing Lara Croft choked to death, and... When it happened, it triggered a memory of something that had happened to her in her childhood. I think it was her father was abusive. Very sorry if I've got that wrong. And she remembered at least one situation that was exactly the same as the thing that happened in the game. She goes on to describe it and, and uh, I, my, the, the back of my neck was kind of prickling because I thought this was going to be um, a very negative article and I have a reaction to this particular subject as well so as the article went on she said she played through the next few hours she felt very numb playing through it because basically she just relived this whole thing so she managed to get through that bit didn't really enjoy it but then by the end of the game the process of playing the game and taking that character through that situation and having that emotional reaction to it and going through to the end of it actually became almost a cathartic experience for her because she, yes, she was forced to relive the situation, but then she had control of what happened after that, mm. and she got to be the hero. It's similar to why we watch horror movies and why we like to play games that have heroes in them, I think. It gives us a level of power, and although this doesn't, this isn't linked entirely to the whole thing of offence, it, it, it is related to how much we can offense proof the world around us how much we can sort of tape towels to the sharp corners of life <laughs> and whether or not whether or not that actually helps any of us in the long run we should be fighting inequality we should definitely be rooting out abuse where we spot it but we can't chase every situation and every possibility of offense as if it's abuse because it it simply isn't i don't think it is what we end up doing is just chasing our own tails constantly we shut down good conversations that could be being had all the while real life is happening and we're not handling it particularly well i don't mean you and me specifically i mean all those other people of course i think um the uh, historical record of the uh, boyle family uh, (laughs) will definitely benefit from everything we said, but yeah, I mean, aside from that, it's, it's possibly we didn't need to didn't need to talk for all this time about it. But no, I, I think we're still going to get offended. You know, I mean, you don't
0: seem to get as offended as I do quite a lot of the time
1: by the world around us. But I think it's okay.
0: I don't think anyone who would have been offended would necessarily understand it as being okay or something that's just going to happen, especially when they're in the heat of the moment. Mm. But like anything else, like a day of bad weather, like the potential of being hit by a car when you cross the street, these are just factors in our life. We can't really avoid them. And by trying to avoid them, as you were saying, by sellotaping towels over the sharp edges, we don't actually develop a thicker skin. We don't grow as people. We can't better recognize the faults in ourselves or the faults in other people that that cause the things that we think that we should be protected from. In some cases, on a cultural level, on a societal level, we can do a good job of phasing out words which have become derogatory and are often used, you know, in abusive ways. We can certainly improve ourselves in those sort of respects. But you know what? Someone's always going to call us fat or ugly. Mm. And they may be right, but they're probably wrong. And they probably don't mean it. Or if they do mean it, they wouldn't know what to do afterwards. You know, they're just saying because they can and because it's easier than coming up to your face and hitting you because they don't like the look of you. Because then they've got no idea what the outcome is. If they just say something to you, the chances are that's it. That's as far as it will go, whether it hurts the other person or not. I'm not going to come up with the same conclusion, I think, as we did in opinions where it's like, well, you know, you've just got to be respectful and be more careful about the way you word your opinion and, and listen very carefully to the, to the other point of view coming away. I think, in terms of offense, that it's just at some point something's going to hurt you. By not letting that hurt consume you and being able to move beyond it is how you build the reflexes for how you deal with it the next time it comes across, even if it does come across again. The trigger warning thing is really tough. You can't expect the entire world to stick a trigger warning on everything, but I understand traditional makes it sound weird but the use case that we see on the internet where it's talking about something that's often linked to a psychological issue and that in talking about it it has the potential to affect those people with said psychological issue and perhaps you do need to just kind of before you start opening the box um that you just do put a little warning on it first not in an entirely dissimilar way to say if we're going to be watching a a tv show in the uk you know if there's strong uh, strong language or scenes of a sexual nature they'll tell us before it starts just so we have at least that little piece of information to make our own decision i think those things can help we're recognizing in doing so where it might actually be important to use it what we're not doing is taking it away so there we go. I think that's it.
1: I think we've nailed this. It's good. We're back to solving things. This is good. We're pretty soon we'll have sorted
0: the whole world out. I hope so. I mean, I hope the world is uh, is, is patient enough to have us solve a problem on a monthly basis instead of fortnightly. <laughs> Hopefully, we don't run out of time.
1: That must be terrifying <laughs> for people.